Welcome back to part two of Negotiations, episode five. One five left to transition to Delta. So we're kind of solving two. So we continue, Victor. One five left to Delta. Delta two back behind the two There's so much more that we could have that won't. I don't think it will cost the company that much, but it will make the pilots so much happier. All right, Article Twenty Three: Deadhead and Pilot Travel. These are all triggering for me. I'm going to just try and keep my head on here. So um, I'll just mention a couple of things, James. Um, Let's say deadheading. So for those that aren't in aviation, deadheading is when a pilot is paid by the company to go from one place to another as a passenger. And usually, especially if it's in the middle or at the start of his shift or her shift, they'll be in uniform and um, they're expected to represent the company. And they're usually available to fly as well. However, for our Canada pilots, we only get paid half credit hours for when we're deadheading. We don't get paid the full amount that we're in uniform on the plane for. That's one factor. I think the survey data says we want to change. Certainly. I mean, the survey data is clear uh, on that, but also the survey data uh, and the comparator documents and the other airlines and what they use at 100% pay and credit is, is very clear as well. So. We are very uh, behind in that regard. And again, the, you know, the goal here is to have an industry-leading uh, collective agreement moving forward. And, and a 50% pay and credit is certainly not going to, uh, going to achieve that. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's some other things to do with that article as well, such as relief pilots. I mean, I was a relief pilot for three years. And I remember coming back from Incheon, Korea. And I was with a four-man crew and the other three pilots sat in business, flying home as they're contractually obligated to put them in business. And then I was sat in the back as a relief pilot. Talk about crew segregation. And that makes me feel completely worthless as a, as a pilot with Air Canada. I mean, that, that affects a smaller group than it does the general population of pilots. But anything that separates us from each other with a one crew concept, I think, needs to change. Um, and then we were going to talk a little bit about the unspecific language around deadhead release at the end of pairings so say an international pilot he goes to london he comes back to toronto but he's based in vancouver he lands let's say in the afternoon in toronto his shift is done he's not flying anymore he just has to deadhead home the next day calls crew scheduling hey i'd like to head home early if you don't mind you can i don't need the hotel that's not the case so much now they'll say well you know we might need you and that pilot goes from a block holder where he has a set schedule and he seems to turn into somebody that's not on reserve but they're kind of on call in case the company needs to use them yeah so, and, and don't quote me on the exact article but i, I do believe you're talking about 250608 uh, and we're talking about where a pilot is um has to request approval to be released from crew scheduling on a deadhead and there's one of those may correct and again we've looked at what other airlines are doing and we do have some solutions around that certainly that's been identified uh, by our scheduling committee who receives the the darts about you know the frustrations that our pilots are experiencing in situations like those and that is certainly something that we're looking to address yeah okay let's keep going here article 31 sick leave so 12 days that's what an air canada pilot gets it's been decades of 12 days sick days the world's changed We're still getting 12 days. James, do you want to step in on this? Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the 12-day allotment's been uh, standardized uh, for decades uh, from us. And, I mean, we're we're different than other employee groups. I mean, let's be very clear. We've got a medical that we have to 
to maintain. We've got a, a quality of life in, in, our, in our physical that, that other groups don't have to. So to, to, to continue on with 12 is, is, in my opinion, quite frankly, unreasonable. It hasn't been addressed to, to 2023, the year that we're living in now. Uh, but furthermore, you know, we need to look at different avenues. And, and, and for instance, you know, a lot of places in, in the States have, have a sick buyback program or some sort of monetary value for the pilots that, that don't use to use their sick time. So there, there's a lot of different options that we have uh, before us. And, and I can assure you that the NC is looking at the best one that we believe would be best beneficial for this group. Yeah. All right. Man, I could talk hours on these articles, but um, we've got to keep things moving along here. So Article 29, Reserve... In 2020, uh, I think it was best fit was ratified, but the language around it is brutal. So, I mean, best fit came in, in tw- the 2020 collective agreement b- with the change in the in in the regulations. I mean, that that's quite frankly the the reality of it. Uh, with the the change in wrap times, um, not every pilot was on the same wrap. So um, that was something that was uh, was ratified in in 2020. Certainly, uh, it's not the system that we need moving forward. So from a moving forward perspective, it needs to be vastly improved. The members need to have a better say in what flying they accept and what flying they wish to pass. Um, Again, using the data from the survey and the recommendations from the scheduling committee as well as the MEC, it's very clear that uh, that's something that needs and will be addressed in this round of bargaining. All right, so Article 33 and 07, specifically removal and displacement are we looking at language to protect pilots better regarding fatigue? Absolutely. So, you know, we have been in discussions with our flight safety division regarding uh, fatigue drops, which I believe, again, is a 3307. But what we have now was negotiated in 2020. And it was it's vastly better than what we've ever had before. Is there room to grow? Absolutely. And, you know, I'd be, be wrong to say that we can't be better and we cannot be industry leading. And that's our goal here is that we want to be better. We want to be industry leading. So we are looking at what other companies are doing when it comes to fatigue drops. And and uh, we're going to try to achieve whatever we can in that particular role. Okay, very good. Harold, Article 21, training. If you're changing aircraft, you start a th- kind of a three-month process of retraining and um, usually off base, or it can be off base, depending on where the simulator is, it might be out of the country even. I know my family dreads, if I change aircraft, I don't know what my schedule is going to be, where I'm going to be, when I'm going to be home. I feel like there's some improvements we could make there for guys and girls. Did you want to speak to that? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely things that could be done differently from a training perspective about how those are scheduled. Uh, we are exploring some. We've talked to some of our other airline uh, members of Alpa, United, and Delta in particular about what they do. We're mm-hmm. trying to find, you know, a way for a pilot to understand this is what happens when I go on training and, and that's something that they can actually plan for. Mm-hmm. I don't have the actual answer for you yet. It's definitely something we're working towards. Okay, very good. James, are there any items that don't immediately jump out to the average pilot but that the MEC has been explicit uh, that they want to amend? Like, are you allowed to give some examples of yes, that? Yes, I mean... I mean, first of all, the, the list that you provided is certainly uh, one that I agree with. Uh, I mean, I'd add a few few onto that, and, and one in particular is, is Article 10, and that's uh, basically administration and, and for, the, for our ALPA uh, volunteers and representatives. Uh, so we basically want to be similar to, to other ALPA carriers, and we want to allow our, our ALPA volunteers to get the time off that's required mm-hmm. uh, to do the work. We have to be mindful that, you know, we've grown as a 
pilot group immensely. We've doubled, yeah. if you will. You know, we've got over 5,200 members right now. The, the language needs to be updated to reflect that um, the resources are available for our pilots uh, and our volunteers to represent all 5,200 pilots. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to continue on, if you wouldn't mind. I'll, I'll talk about Article 11, so supervisory pilots. Uh, again, uh, these, these pilots are, are our group. They're our members. We, we represent them. We want to make sure that when it comes to Article 11 that we want to attract the right people into that particular job. And when I say Article 11, I should probably expand a little bit. We're talking about check pilots. We're talking about flight instructors. We're talking about project pilots. We're talking about NFROPs. Yep. You know, it, we, have to, we have to make sure that those are the right people that are doing that job. Uh, but also being mindful of the entire and the entire pilot group as a whole as we negotiate for this particular segue. Yeah, that's something actually that I've heard talked about a lot on the line is this the training pilots, the checkers, and a lot of the guys you mentioned and girls that you mentioned there. They really they make the difference. They like when you're qualifying on an aircraft, they're the ones who are there helping you through the stuff or getting you up to speed on maybe something that you can't just read in a manual that you just you need to know on the line. If they like their job and it's the right people and they want to be there, it makes a whole difference to how, how things operate. I, I, we are very uh, aware, and I think most line pilots are, of what uh, particular Article 11 pilots, but also IOETC pilots do when they're not flying the airplane. And the pre-work and the post-work yep. and a lead-up that these pilots and the time that they're putting in outside of the actual flight and we certainly believe that they should be compensated for that extra work. Yeah, and, and you know, they don't just, in the case of Line and Dock, they don't just get to sit there during cruise and do standard checks and whatnot. They do all of that, plus keeping an eye on the guy that's just started or is new, newly qualified, plus we've got worksheets that we have to work through. We talk through all of the elements of the of our FOM and, and the AOM. It's a nonstop conversation through Line and Dock. And for listeners that aren't in the airline, so Line and Dock is where you qualify on a new aircraft or you start at the company and then you qualify and then you're required to complete a certain number of hours and take off landings or sectors with a training pilot to make sure that you're ready to be on that plane released as a fully qualified pilot. All right, so moving along, um, Harold, pay on the line, we talk about it a lot. It, it is a frequent conversation in the flight deck. Are you at liberty to talk about it or uh, elaborate a bit more? Uh, yes, I, I can. So let's start with the first thing. <laughs> okay. I, I go back to when I talk to members, and I've, you know, we've been doing this for a while. We've been doing the coffee sets and, and some of the other events that have gone on, and I always say the same thing. Tell me three things you'd like to change in the contract, and you can't say pay, because we all know pay. I think we have to focus on the whole process and not just one individual article. We've been emphasizing the quality of life as a big issue for our pilots. It shows up in the surveys time and time again that we all know we want pay, but hey, there has to be a quality of life component to this too. So it has to be considered as part of the total compensation, not just the pay table. So a community policy, big factor of quality of life. Flat pay, where, where some of our pilots are, are working under the current flat pay system and also working other jobs to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. Uh, year one salary is lowest, if not one of the lowest, amongst the Canadian 705 carriers. Something that the company really needs to address, but obviously we want fixed too. Pay tables, as the final part of this whole statement that I'm making, is one of the last things you put on the table. Because you want to cover all the other things first. It's one of the last things you put in front of the company. Just like some of their big things will be some of the last things that generally get talked about from our... We won't talk 
a lot about a lot of their stuff until they, they say yes to a lot of our big stuff. Yeah, fair. Okay. James, with the company making good money as per the quarterly reports, uh, the executives have annual incomes in the millions, uh, some in the tens of millions, and other airline carriers securing incredible contracts with their pilot groups. What sort of position are the pilots in to push for all of these issues to be amended? Simply put, we really want the company to succeed. Yeah. And we want them to remain competitive. We were very encouraged with the recent Q3 results uh, that were released by Air Canada. Um, AC, quite simply put, is is not uh, attractive as as an employer as it used to be um, because of our contract. And we're not attracting the right pilots with the same level of experience as before. We have data uh, that would support uh, the average hourly pilot has decreased from 2019 until 2023. So because of this, you know, of this setup, we're perfectly aware of the three pillars of a, of a successful negotiations. And we believe that we've hit all three. And those would be pattern bargaining. Uh, the company has the ability to pay. And unity. Uh, and I, when we talk about unity, uh, I think the response and the support uh, that we've witnessed on the pickets in Montreal, Toronto, and, and Calgary have been absolutely phenomenal and tremendous. Uh, we see the pilots in, in the terminals wearing their lanyards, and that shows the support uh, of the union uh, and that we are all in this, in this together. Uh, I think it does send a, a very clear message that uh, by us wearing uh, our lanyards, uh, it sends a message to the company that there's just simply not six of us at the negotiating table, uh, but in fact that there's 5,200 of us instead. Yeah, and I really like that sentiment. It's very true. We want the company to succeed. It's it's our life, you know. It's uh, it's We want to commit our whole career to Air Canada, and we uh, pilots are very committed to helping the company succeed. But, you know, we got to take care of each other. Right, like the company's got to take care of us, and then we'll take care of the, of the company. Absolutely, a, a very a happy pilot is a productive pilot. Yeah, and I, I believe that uh, we've sent that message to, uh, to management, and and we tr- truly believe in that. And and the results are clear of what's happened down in the states with Delta and American United, and and a very good, positive, uh, highly achievable ratified deal yeah. is beneficial for both groups. Absolutely, yeah. And then the public like it too, the investors like it, and everything just kind of snowballs into a successful, profit-making, on-time, performing company. And that's what we want. Yeah. All right, moving on. So, uh, James, I mean, no doubt you receive a lot of inquiries from our pilots on progress and timelines. I did some digging, and I asked you... Uh, what is the most common question or the common questions that the negotiating committee seems to receive? And I'm sorry to have to ask you these again. Sorry, not sorry, but let's get them answered. Why are negotiations taking so long? Well, I mean, uh, as I said, the membership demands um, lots of changes to our outdated and stale collective agreement. Um, but I will be, be, be mindful to, to, to mention to you that that our survey data also reflects, though, that the memberships appreciate how long this will actually take to achieve a world-class contract. Mm. So um, while it may seem that, that, that this is taking a long and drawn-out process, the reality is, is that when you go through uh, the collective agreement word, line by line, word by word, it, time is, it's going to take time. Fair. All right. Harold. Are you seeing results at the table based on unity events? Yeah, we, we are definitely seeing results 
you know, there's been an odd statement here or there acknowledging that these events are happening. But also what we're really seeing is at the beginning of the process, we heard a lot that, well, we know what the pilots want. Now they're starting to say, what do the pilots want? Mm. So the, the change is, is small but significant. Yeah. They understand that, you know, our survey data, that the amount of pilots that are responding to that based on how many numbers we get and the numbers that are showing up for the events shows that the, the membership's united. And so our survey data becomes worth its weight in gold. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay, another common question um, before we move along. We've touched on this already, but in a nutshell, what is the process for creating proposals? Well, we re reviewed the contract line by line, and that is a big part of my life I will never get back. I, and, and, you know, if you've read the contract, you know how dry some of it can be. And not only that, the, I don't know if I want to use the snakes and ladders term, but the snakes and ladders of the contract, because every, every clause could touch another clause, which touches another clause, which does. And, yep. and, you know, that's just, unfortunately, that's just the nature of contracts sometimes. Um, so line by line, we've done it for the entire collective agreement, including all the letters at the end, and, and maybe even came up with some new articles of our own. So once we reviewed all those, we collaborate with committees. Uh, we've used external and external committees. Um, review the survey results and darts, capture the desires of the membership. All this data is used to create and finalize proposals for the article. Once we've completed that, the proposal is created as a spreadsheet per se. It's sent to the MEC for a minimum of seven days for their approval. So basically it sits in their hands so they have a chance to come back and say, well, what about this? Have you considered that? And, and largely those questions have been how does this impact this because of the ability of the contract clauses to touch other parts? And, you know, we've caught a few things where we thought, okay, well, we, maybe we need to change the way we word this so it's clear how this impacts this other thing. But for the most part, the MEC has been very happy with what we've come up with. And then, you know, as they are completed and we get approvals, then we hand them over to the company. And how do you create surveys? A, a lot of it comes from not just from darts, that, that's one. Mm -hmm. A lot of historical data, so we're asking the same question over and over again because that helps build the history of the question yeah. um, to see if the, the data is changing, if the, the membership's views are changing on, on certain things. Sometimes it's stuff we're asked at the table. Sometimes it's stuff that the committees come forward and say, we'd like to do this or we'd like you to think about this. Okay, so individually, you know, I as Harold say, I think this is an important thing. But, you know, I don't, uh, my opinion doesn't really matter. But if it's, if it's something the NC can say, this is, an, this is actually a good idea or this is an important thing to talk about, let's see how we can form that into a question. So we largely do the questioning. It gets, you know, put to the MEC. They have a review of it as well. We bring in Abacus Data, who is, you know, done our polling yep. for, for many years. James is going to talk about him momentarily. Uh, he helps us kind of, finesse those questions and then you know it gets handed over to them to basically turn into a, a proper survey and go to the membership yeah yeah so i'll just jump in there i mean sure. we, we we are hoping to get dave coletto who is the the chair and ceo of abacus um who is a uh, a, a business out of out of ottawa and, and is very very good at, at their job and very accurate at their job more importantly um and we're hoping basically that they can come on a further podcast uh to discuss discuss kind of in further detail 
what exactly the, the surveys do and what information they they bring bring to mm -hmm. us. Uh, but furthermore, I mean, I kind of want to, as we mentioned in a previous newsletter, I, I think it, it's it's important to mention that uh, we understand that some members have expressed a little frustration um, with the amount of information provided in the survey itself. But you know, we still encourage and we're thankful that uh, you know a large number of our members are filling out the information because it really does help uh, the MC and the MEC. Um, decide which direction we, we really want to go. As, as, as much as it may look like low-hanging fruit, uh, this is very valuable data for us moving forward. Um, it's, it's helped to fill gaps in, in our current knowledge as, as we work through items at the table. Um, I think it's also very important, as I've met, we've mentioned in previous surveys or newsletters, I should say, that um, we use that information really to, to counter uh, management's rhetoric that we sometimes get at the table from them. Okay, thanks, James. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I remember two words when I first started that were repeated from the company. It was cost neutral. Sure, but it's got to be cost neutral. Drives me crazy. Don't hear that anymore. Things are different now. I'm going to guess it's to do with a now expired 10-year framework. Harold, maybe you can jump in on that. We're not in the 10-year framework. The 10-year framework specifically contemplated that, right? Cost neutral, there was a couple of areas where we, where we could actually get gains in, in arbitration, but a lot of it was cost neutral. But, you know, that's a good point about why are our members upset with the way they're, they've been treated. And I said this, you know, I wasn't involved when, when COVID rolled in, but, but the reality is cost neutral, cost neutral, cost neutral. Companies making tons of money and never once did they come and say, you know what, pilots, I think it's time that we ante up and give you some more. When COVID rolled, we need to take some of that back. We need to take it back quickly. And it wasn't, when things get better, we'll give it back to you and then some. It was, no, no, we're just going to take that back. We need that back. We need that back to help the company. And I understand that. I understand that, you know, COVID was a pretty significant impact on the company. Respectfully, they should have also been willing to come to us with more when things were good or offer more when things returned to normal. And they didn't do either of those things. That feels disingenuous to me. Yeah, and unfortunately, when it's on the heels of, of pay raises for executives, oh, it leaves a sore spot for everyone. Okay. Cor corporate greed's not a not not the greatest thing right now. And I, I, I mean, let me listen. We're we're very far from those times, and and our and 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 the goal here from the NC's perspective and from the MEC is that we are looking forward. You know, we've learned from from our mistakes from the years past, but the reality is is that we we are looking forward, and we're looking to better times. Uh, we believe certainly right now uh, the timing is right to gain a world-class contract and then be an industry leader in aviation. And that is the goal that we have in mind when we go to the table every single day. Yeah. All right. Well, we're getting to the end of this episode. Um, what can the pilot group do to help the negotiation committee at the table? The average line pilot, what is his duty? Like, What can he do? Show up. Show up to every union event you can. Wear your lanyard every time you go to work. The company sees it, they know. And they need to know that every pilot that they see in the terminal is wearing their Apple lanyard and they're behind us 100%. All right. And if there's anything I've taken away from this, it's the importance of the surveys too. If you Absolutely. guys need some updates or you need to clarify uh, what it is the pilot group wants, surveys are the way to get that information. 
Absolutely. And, and furthermore, we're doing uh, a really cognitive job of really trying to make sure that the membership is, is, is brought along in this entire process. And we're trying to release as much information in newsletters as often and as frequently as we can. Um, you'll see a lot of the negotiating committee members attending a lot of the LCMs recently in, in Vancouver and Calgary. Um, and we plan on attending more in the near future, as well as the coffee sits. So um, that's something that we're really trying to do so that the membership in this entire process, and it's as, as mentioned before, it's going to be a long process. We want them to be part of the journey with us and part of, so when, when the, the day comes, whatever that may be, they're, they're up to speed. And hopefully the, the, the frequency of our newsletters uh, achieves that. Yeah, yeah. And I've never quite felt so united with my pilot group as I have this year. Uh, the events, uh, the union, the way they're reaching out, the fact we have socials now. I mean, we have X, we have Instagram and a YouTube account, the podcasting gear that's sitting right in front of us right now. They are reaching out to the pilots all the time. You know, this is one big group in one direction. So it's really good to see. Well, that concludes this negotiations update. Thank you both for being here and talking so openly about the process and where we are within it. Keep an eye on your Alpa email for updates and further surveys. Follow us on our socials like Instagram and X, that's at Air Canada Pilots. Be sure to wear your Alpa lanyard and as always, fly safe.